Are we doing something different? Oh, yeah. You know, right. I like all the differences this time of year. Don't laugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do that because then if you laugh, I'm going to laugh. <clears throat> I'm serious. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just that. Well, <laughs> You're listening to the first installment of our Advocacy and All We Do series. We'll release an episode each month highlighting the importance and the effects of self-advocacy in every aspect of our lives as disabled people. From family and friendship to traveling, from going to school to getting a job, the everyday stresses of these experiences are often accompanied by the requirement to advocate. This episode focuses on advocacy and everyday interactions with family members, as well as at family gatherings. We also talk about our experiences with family members advocating for us. Enjoy. I was having a conversation with a friend over the summer mm-hmm. and explaining to her, I think one of the things that's unique about disabled existence or the disabled experience is there is not an area of our life where we don't have to advocate. It's not like I only have to advocate when I leave my house. Right. Or I only have to advocate with people I don't know. You know, that's not true. We have to advocate. It is not true. We we have to do so much advocacy everywhere in everything that we do. Hence the the name of the series. We Mm -hmm. are going to be doing these once a month, provided we're not doing another series. I'm excited to talk about this and really break down how we have to advocate in every area of our life. It never ends. It never ends. And no lie, sometimes it's easier than others, Mm -hmm. but it's like a cell phone constantly searching for a Wi-Fi connection. Like it's always, it's ongoing. And I think this is good to talk about because I do not think people understand the toll that it can take on you mentally and emotionally. We're constantly advocating, especially and in environments where you honestly feel like you should not fucking have to. You do. You feel like you're just like, y'all, y'all have known me all my life. Y'all should have the best understanding. Not always. No. So these episodes are not just going to be us bitching about how we have to advocate. Because we will talk about advocacy done poorly and advocacy done well. We're going to make sure to include those. Because I think advocacy isn't necessarily a chore. It's more of a chore when you have to... I don't want to say beg and plead with people because that's not always what we're doing, but it's not. it takes up more energy when you do have to really lay it on thick and sweet talk people and rephrase things and try to think about, okay, how can I appeal to this person? And it looks different in different settings, which is another reason why I broke it down by like family versus we'll have an episode on education and an episode on employment and things like that because it's going to look different in all of these settings. This is true. Ready to dive into advocacy and family? Let's go. (laughs) I wanted to start with family because, of course, this is the very beginning of where you learn to advocate for yourself, right? And this goes for whether you're disabled or not. Right. Right. We learn how to ask for what we need and express when things are not comfortable or not. Some people's families do not allow for that ability to express when things are uncomfortable. Yeah, that's tough as a disabled kid because, okay, so one, I have an issue with society blowing off kids 
expressions of their preferences mm. in general. Mm. Like just kids who are non-disabled. I have an issue with people just like, oh, well, they're just a kid. They're going to say no anyway. And I'm just like, no, that is not okay because you are installing in that child that their preferences are not important. And that's dangerous. We've talked about on other episodes why that's right. dangerous. But that's harmful when you brush it off as, oh, they're attention seeking or, oh, of course, they're not going to want to. They're a kid or, you know, whatever ways they come up with excusing why they just don't want to treat their child like they're a person. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a difference from doing what is truly in their best interest and then doing mm -hmm. what's expedient because them wanting to eat cookies all day is not healthy. So you know that. And as the parent, yes, you could be like, no cookies. And the way you get around that is you don't have any cookies in the house. You're the one buying the food. That's one thing. But to say like you want them to wear this or something else that's not a big deal and you just kind of force your will upon them anyway because you're the parent, they're the child, that is a problem. And people do it all the time and they make excuses and God help you if you're a disabled child, because you, you know, even less, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, you, you should just be grateful mm -hmm. for anything. So there's a lot there and family, nobody can screw you up better than family. Agreed. And they get you at the ground level. We're going to preface our family discussion by saying that one, as we've said on other episodes, we are both introverted. <laughs> Very much, yes. I think Olivia is a little bit more introverted than I am. I would agree with that. And then we are not family oriented. No. Although I do think you have more of a relationship with your family than I do. I think it appears that way, but I don't. I have people that I'm close to who happen to be my siblings. Mm -hmm. And my mom and I are very close. But outside of that, there's a hell of a lot more family. But um, I'm like, hey. We relate it. <laughs> We're not family. We're just related. Yeah, neither of us are really attached to our extended family. Not at all, actually. So. And I'm close to two of my siblings, and then I have a third sibling that I do not speak to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's over an issue that was related to my disability. You know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. So in keeping with family being the place where we can express ourselves and our need for autonomy and our preferences and things of that nature. A big issue is advocating for family members to understand our disability and the way it impacts us, because it's going to impact us all differently, you know, especially depending on how you are losing your vision if you weren't born blind, which I would say yeah. most blind people are not. I am curious about that. Of the blind people that are currently blind how many were born blind and how many were not um there's probably some statistics somewhere right because a significant number of blind people didn't actually become blind until they were over the age of 40 or 50 right that's, that's a significant portion of disabled people in general but i think especially blind folks having grown up blind i've always seen blind children and then teenagers and adults so that's my perspective but you are right because there's a lot of like macular degeneration and glaucoma. The diabetic and retinopathy. Di yes, mm -hmm. all of that. So I guess I never thought about it that way. And having to advocate to your family the ways that your disability affects you. I think this is really hard, too, because the way it affects you 
at home is different from how it affects you at school. And of course, like these are all things you have to relay back to your parents and they're not really going to understand because they didn't go through school as a disabled child or as a blind child or just as you, right? Because there are some blind kids who have blind parents. God help you if your parents or the people raising you have no fucking sympathy for you or or understanding. Mm -hmm. Because that was my case. I was raised by someone. This person was very cruel in a myriad of different ways. And one of the very damaging ways was this person refused to acknowledge that there were stuff I could not do. Or if I could do it, I would have to do it differently. And because I did not do it in the way that they wanted it done and how they wanted it done, I would often get in trouble for that. And this person just flat out refused to believe that I needed to do things differently. They didn't understand and they weren't interested in understanding my visual impairment and working with me in a different way to still learn independence, still learn, you know, all that other stuff that every child needs to learn. But this person was just flat out a fucking bully. I was raised by a bully (laughs) Mm -hmm. because of that. I had and still have a lot of hangups that I'm working through in therapy because of what happened during my formative years surrounding my disability. Like this person did not want me to use sighted guide. They wanted me to wash dishes with the light on and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't have to. I'm not looking at the dishes at all. Or they wanted me to not let my eyes wander. Stuff like that. Like very fucking stuff damaging you can't shit. Even, you can't even control that. At all. <laughs> There's more. But all that to say, like, it's a key person in your life. And I used to say, I still say all the time, I love school because school was easy. Going home was fucking, it was not as bad as some, but shit, it was fucked up in a lot of ways. And they refuse to understand, even still to this day, <laughs> my disability and how it impacts me. Yeah. There's nothing like growing up in a situation where the worst bully or the biggest bully you have in your life is uh, your caretaker. Mm-hmm. And they're worse than any bully at school, right? Because kids doing petty shit is one thing, but like adults, adults are even nastier, yeah. especially when they have power over you. Yeah. The biggest challenge for me and so far as family and advocacy was my parents. I don't think they would describe themselves as fearful people, but insofar as how I was raised as a blind person, my parents made a lot of fear based choices. And the hardest thing for me to overcome was not bringing that fear with me into adulthood. And I'm not going to say I succeeded at that, mm-hmm. but. I definitely left most of their fears behind. Good and yeah, it was a challenge because it meant I got into a lot of arguments and fights with my parents and had a lot of, I'm going to call it explosive emotional expression. I don't want to call it a tantrum, but <laughs> it was just me just really losing it on my parents. I wish that a simple conversation would have done it. Mm -hmm. and just said, hey, like, there's going to be a day I'm going to leave this house and I'm going to need to be able to do everything by myself. And don't hover over me. Don't micromanage me while I do X. I don't know what quite when that reality hit me. I'm going to guess around age 13 or 14, I started going to a day camp for kids who are blind and have other impairments. 
And the day camp was us having to work on independent living skills. And of course, they made it really fun and stuff. And then I was like, I need to take this home, man. But there wasn't space to do it at home because anytime I would try to do stuff, I had somebody hovering over me and telling me I was doing X wrong, not long enough, or make sure you do this. Or I had somebody trying to help me, but in trying to help me, they were making things harder. So like one instance I can think of is my mom was trying to help me make French toast or something. And I hadn't flipped it quite at the moment that she would have. So she went and flipped the French toast, but she had turned the pan. So then when I reached for the handle where I had left it, there was a hot burner there and uh, I burned myself. And then, you know, that's the type of thing that made me have a meltdown as a, I don't know how old I was. I was 16 or something. And I was like, this is why you don't need to be in here. I'm just like, if you would just let me do it by myself, stuff like that wouldn't happen. (laughs) Like... It was just very unhealthy and very toxic. But I had to have so many instances like this. It's not like I could just have one instance of, okay, hey, I can cook by myself and that means I can do laundry by myself and I can do all these other things by myself. I had to have all these individual instances of, hey, I have to be able to do this too. I need to be able to pick my clothes out too, whatever. Like my mom was very much the micromanaging type Mm. and having a disabled child, it was an outlet for that personality because... Having a disabled child, a blind child, is like, okay, I get to pick out your clothes. I get to dictate all of these different things in your life. And I and I don't believe that that was my mother's intention to be a controlling person, but she is the person who likes to have control of all the details <laughs> and knowledge of all the details. And so me advocating for my independence was taking that away from her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. This sounds as fucked up as it really was. And so that's why it was a fight, though, right? It was both of us fighting for control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing when your kid is eight and it's a different thing when your kid is 16 and the yeah. re- the reality's hitting me that, listen, in two years, I'm not going to be here. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's not a way in hell I can be here. I have to try and do everything I can to not be here. I mean, it happened with both parents. I think my mom just stands out because, like I said, she had more of a controlling personality. My father, not so much controlling, but still had a lot of choices he made about how he raised me based on fear. So, like, I was not allowed to really spend time at friends' houses, especially, like, if they weren't nearby or if my siblings weren't there as well. Like, Mm -hmm. me and my siblings had a lot of overlapping friendships. Or we had different friends, but they lived in the same house, right? They were siblings, different age groups or whatever. But And that made it possible for me to get out and socialize in that way. But if I wanted to spend the night at somebody's house and they weren't a blind kid or there weren't those overlapping friendships with my siblings, I couldn't. My father, I don't remember if he said this to me or to my older sister, but like he was afraid of my eyes popping out, I remember. And me not being able to resolve that situation. And listen, the easiest way to resolve that situation is you just have the ocularist show me how to put my own eyes back in, right? Because this is a really easy thing to do. It's it's so easy. And it's something that if somebody has prosthetic eyes, that's something you probably should learn at some point. And the earlier, the better, because life. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, because there are times where if you rub your eye too hard, it will it will start to pop out. I mean, you can (laughs) prevent it from happening, but it's just the reality of living with prosthetics. I mean, it's not like if I roll over wrong or hit my head hard enough, my eyes are going to fly out of my head. It's not anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) So 
instead of having a doctor show me how to do it, it was just making that choice based on fear. I'm sure there there were other things, too. You know, I had cancer growing up, and so my parents were always under the impression that it was easier for me to get sick than other kids. And I, I don't think that was the case. I don't think I got sick as much as other kids did. But there was that fear, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say they sheltered me and they isolated me. I, I don't think I lived that type of existence. But there were those fear-based choices where, like, my parents didn't want me playing in sprinkler systems because they thought I would, like, catch a cold or something. I mean, it was really oh. stupid shit like that, okay? I don't need you to go into the science. and I know it's not <laughs> even possible. But it's it's just stuff like that or, like... There was one time I was at a friend's house and they were having a water balloon fight and my dad didn't want me to participate. And it was something to do with my disability or my supposedly increased likelihood of getting sick. And so I had to overcome all of that. And then there was one day I had to start like really telling my parents, I'm like, listen, I know you have your beliefs about what can possibly happen to me, but they are wrong. It is hard, right? Because your parents have this perspective that they have a greater understanding of the world than you do. Than you do. But here's the reality. If you're a non-disabled parent raising a disabled child, you don't. You do not know the realities you of the world as a disabled person. And I get that for a lot of people, not everyone, because I know some people whose parents are trash. A lot of times it is out of a sense of love and protectiveness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to. And so they, there are those parents who go hard for their kids and they try to learn as much as they can. But that's like somebody who they're white and they marry or have a child by somebody who's black. Doesn't matter how much you love your child or how much you learn, you don't know what it's like to live as a person of color. You can do all the research, but you can't tell your child, well, I've done the research. And so I know exactly. No, because there's a whole difference between learning about something and living something. And while you might be a non-disabled parent and you've been this disabled child's parent their whole life, fine, great, but you're not living a disabled life. And you don't have you as a parent. Right. <laughs> and the, you've got the disabled child has not only their own thoughts and emotions surrounding their disability and their place in the world, but they also have to contend with yours and societies. And that's a hell of a lot. I want to talk about, too, because you and I both are in the similar boat. Just occurred to me what it's like being the only disabled child in the family. Oh, now, wow. You are what? You're the third? child? Are you the third or the fourth? I can't remember. I'm a middle child. As am I. I've got six siblings and I'm dead center. I'm the only one with a disability, especially a physical disability. So that was a lot for my mom to really handle. And she was really young when it all happened. She did her best. But even within my cousins and stuff, I'm the only obviously disabled person. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole other thing about, you know, even being able to connect with my family, like with my siblings, <laughs> no problem. You you know, you've got siblings that you're close to and that you're not and blah, blah, blah. That's just normal. But my siblings, I was just me. But to literally everyone else in the family, I was other. I'm going to say that I was seen as an extension of my siblings instead yes! of an individual. Oh my God, yes. By my parents and other people. 
that's true. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you, like when my youngest siblings and I moved out, my baby brother and my baby sister and I, we all moved out and got a place together. People would always call it their place, even when they were talking to me. <laughs> and you lived they, there. And I fucking And you were there. essentially the head of household. I was essentially the head of household. <laughs> I was making the most money. I was making sure the bills were paid. I was doing a damn thing. But everybody would call it Dalen's house or Bray's house. Or they'd say, I'm going over Dalen and Bray's or Bray and Dalen's. And I'd be like, and I am what exactly? It's ridiculous. And it pisses me off the fact that even within my family, even my, my mom, I am not my own person. I'm not a whole person. Yeah. That is something else that we had to overcome, especially being middle children, right? Because our stories <laughs> would probably be different if we were the oldest. That's just going to look different in different family structures. But I was considered an extension of my siblings. And <laughs> this is a potential future episode on our podcast because I've thought about, I'm like, man, what must it have been like to be my siblings who were thought of as needing to be responsible for me when that's not their job. Uh I can think of a couple of times where my brother, who is a year younger than me, but, you know, we're the closest in age. Uh And we were close. You know, that was my buddy. I still think of him as my buddy. (laughs) Shout out to Kenny. He helps us with this podcast. (laughs) What up, dude? You're doing an awesome job. (laughs) (laughs) He does. He does so wonderfully. (laughs) There were a couple of times where he was scolded because he let me do something. And I'm like, I made my own choice. Right. But he took the brunt of it because he was always looking out for me. And then also, I don't know, I'm sure it happened to my sister a couple of times and maybe I just wasn't present for it. Also, there were times where like my mom, she would take us the girls shopping or us the girls to get our hair done. And she would say, oh, Raven gets this because my older sister likes it. And I'm like, is that why? I'm like, that is not true. I don't get my hair done a specific way because my sister gets it done that way. I didn't even know I had a fucking choice to begin with. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. It's just really weird that in these different ways I was seen as an extension of my siblings and not as an individual. I would agree with that. And then when there are extended family members that come into play, they don't see you as a person <laughs> Oh yes. at all. Jesus. Some people will acknowledge you, but they infantilize you when they do. And then there's other people who they literally do not speak to you at all or they don't acknowledge when you speak. Oh, my God. The number of times I have attempted to participate in a conversation with extended family and I'm just like, no one's going to acknowledge what I just said or I just asked a whole last question and we're going to. Yeah, I'm just going to pretend I say nothing. Let's talk about the comparison. Like you and I were talking about when we were kids, right? And people would ask our siblings and stuff about all the cool stuff they were doing. And then for us, it was just, oh, how's cool? If they asked you anything. If they asked you anything, yeah. I remember, and I remember telling you like for a long time, and I still have issues with this. I thought I was like this most hideous monster because everyone would talk about how beautiful my sisters were. And then when it got to me, they'd be like, oh, how's cool? And I'd be like, well, damn. I must be jacked man, right? (laughs) I got four fucking sisters. Y'all all all talking about how beautiful they are, how stunning and gorgeous. And then it gets down to me and then it's house school. That was just like, ouch. But yeah, let's talk about how they don't acknowledge you at all in some cases. I wanted to get into infantilization at first because the family members who do acknowledge us, at least when it comes to extended family, 
it always tended to be infantilizing where, yes, they would say, how school or, you know, what are your favorite subjects in school? And they always talk to you about school as if I don't know, you know, school is is one of those really empty subjects to talk about. It's kind of like, how's the weather type of stuff? It's exactly like that. <laughs> it's small talk, like, right? What do I say to a child? Mm-hmm. And I think about things like, I don't know, in high school, it was even kept really simple when people would talk to me. And I ran track in high school. I don't even know if anybody in my extended family knew that because they didn't want to have in-depth conversations. Somebody might be sitting here listening and thinking like, okay, you had an audience. You could talk about whatever. No, you couldn't. Because and people would ask me that question and they'd be like, hold on. So-and-so wants a blah, blah, blah and take off and never come back. Never come back. And I'll be like, huh. So you start to pattern your behavior based on that. Right. Because it's not like that just happens once. That happens multiple times. And I'm like, yeah. And (laughs) you're like, well, I already know you don't actually want it because let's be honest. You can also read the room. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could tell somebody's just asking you something just to say something or if they really give a damn about what you're saying. And so when somebody else, oh, how's school? You're like, I know you don't really care. So I'm like, oh, it's good. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, so anyway, blah, blah, and they off talking, the, the whole vibe didn't change, the tone of their voice didn't change, because you know they don't care. I could tell, too, because they would talk to my siblings differently. Because, I, I would, mean, you, yes. you would hear them, and I'd be like, okay, so you're asking him what sports he's playing, mm-hmm. and how's tennis going, and all this stuff. But, like, there's not a really a deep dive into my life. It just made me think, okay, well, they don't care. You know, I mean, this is why I'm not family oriented to this day. Some of my cousins have attempted to reach out to me once I reached adulthood. It was like when I turned 18. (laughs) Now you're worth talking to. I do not know if one of my cousins was told by her mom, like, hey, you know, do you talk to Raven the way that parents do? And so maybe that prompted my cousin to reach out to me. Yeah. And she invited me, though, to this gathering with the cousins. And listen, that's not going to work out for me. Like if you wanted to if she wanted to do a one on one thing, I actually Mm -hmm. may have gone. But I'm not going to get together with a bunch of people who have pretended like I didn't exist or like when I tried to participate in conversations growing up, they would ignore me. There was one time my cousins were, I don't know what they were doing. They were playing a game or dancing. I don't know. They were being silly. And so I was, I went over to them to try to participate. Like, hey, what's going on over here? And one of my cousins like pushed me away from everybody else. Like she physically pushed me. She was like, you are in the way. Like, I don't even know how you came over here. And I'm like, okay, so no one else was like, oh no, Raven can blah, blah, blah. And as a child, you're torn between instances where you do I stand up for myself right now and say like hey man I don't understand why I can't participate like everybody else is but this is I think the summation of advocacy for a lot of disabled people I do not want to fight to be around people who do not want to be around me especially like this is fucking family you know if I was on a job and getting paid that's different that's different but for family like hey we're just hanging out man I'm not gonna fight to hang out with people who don't give a fuck about me right I have similar situations like my cousins with me like we're like the same age or like two or three years you know different and they don't want nothing to do with me but now here we are we're adults and it's like my cousin they do it at least once a year they always put this thing at this giant house and then we should all rent and the cousins we should all go there and I'm like we don't have a rapport 
the time to build a relationship and stuff, I won't say it's over. I won't say I'm less open to it now. Like, because first off, we're all adults at this point and yeah. we have different, we have lives to live. You know, the people that do want me around and the people that I've chosen who have chosen me back, you know, those are the people that I'm going to allocate my time to people just because we happen to be related you know, now all of a sudden I'm, maybe I'm a little bit more useful. Maybe you've grown up and you've seen the air of your ways or whatever. Listen, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Like, I wish you luck. I don't hate you at the same time. I've always been a person. It's not my fault. You're just now noticing. Yeah. I think about interactions I've had with my cousins recently. And when I say recently, I mean within the past decade. Mm-hmm. The ones who have decided to sit down and talk to me really quick, decide to talk to me about other people and not in a bad way. Just did you hear about blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, somebody had a baby and there were these issues, whatever. They don't decide to ask me questions about me. And how are you? Like, what's the update with your life? It's also a struggle for me because I don't find my life particularly fascinating. I always say that. (laughs) And my life is fascinating to other people. I have a very interesting job. I have two podcasts and it's different. You're doing stuff. I am doing doing things. It's hard for me to shed the conclusion I reached as a child. Yeah. When people haven't demonstrated otherwise. And again, it's like, do I really want to share my life with this person? Like, what does it matter in this moment? That's really how I feel now, because while I was told family is all you got and you should talk to your family growing up, no one felt that way about me as their family member. And I'm like, (laughs) that's so interesting. I'm supposed to remember that family is everything. I'm supposed to be there for my family and all. (laughs) But it was 100% cool for y'all to just throw me away like I ain't matter. Yes. And all of a sudden, we supposed to be family ties, the, the ties that bind. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Yeah. People went back on their word when it came to that, like, you should be the one to step forward, disabled person. That's the other thing about being disabled is, like, how am I supposed to fight for people to include me everywhere? That is exhausting. So after school and after work and after being in public for XYZ and running errands and medical stuff, now I'm here with my family and I have to step up and be like, hey, why do you guys not include me? When I've had to say that to the rest of the world. And so I'm like, you know what? Listen, forget it. Right. My (laughs) aunt, one of my aunts has this thing. She calls it a reset. And I'm like, I love you. But it's one of the reasons I don't talk to my biological father. Right. Just because you realize something that you were wrong and how you dealt with me does not mean that I'm obligated now to give you a chance. Like my biological father actually fucking said. I don't want to get into why we weren't in touch. We weren't in touch for a host of reasons, the least of which was this motherfucker had one. He had a problem with my disability and he would tell lies about how he tried to get my disability fixed, even though it's not one of the things you can fucking fix. That fucked with me on a visceral level. And so when he wanted to reach back out, that's what he said. I don't want to get into why. Let's just start over. And it's just like, oh, you can't do this. No, you fucking it's like can't. You're centering yourself in the type of relationship that you would like us both to participate in. You cannot do this. We are people. And when you show us who you are, there are people, there are blind people who are very forgiving and they'll give you 10 and 20,000 chances. Younger Olivia was very much an optimist and shit, but the Olivia that I am today and I continue to choose to be, mm -mm. you show me that I don't matter to you. Okay, got it. I will not waste my time on you either. 
when it comes to family, I am not forgiving. I don't care what anybody thinks about that. But there are enough people in this world that I can focus my energy on relationships that are more effortless and worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean there's zero strain. It just means those people show up and they show me that they care more about the relationship than family does. Because some of the most real conversations I've had, difficult and uncomfortable conversations I've had with people insofar as my relationship with them, were people I'm not related to. Family seems to operate in this way where they want to sweep a bunch of shit under the rug Mm -hmm. and, you know, let go of the past and forget the past and move on. And I'm just like... No. You want to have a strong house on a weak foundation and you cannot have it. That does not work. It just always gets me the whole like I should be the forgiving. I just and this high roll bullshit. And what if I die tomorrow? Bitch, I could have died any time between today and the past. And you didn't give a shit. Yeah, you can leave your emotionally manipulative bullshit somewhere else. And that's exactly what the fuck it is. And that's the other reason why I can't fuck with a bunch of family. When they say that stuff, I'm just like, oh. Okay, you know what? You're not mature enough for us to have an actual relationship. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Goodbye. Like, goodbye. (laughs) And again, the family just think that they can say and do whatever, and you're supposed to just accept it or forgive it. I might shoot you, throw you off a cliff, jettison you into outer space, but we family though. So you should forgive me. Like, fuck you seven ways from Sunday. No, (laughs) I'm not showing up for it. I will not. I refuse. When people say like family sticks together, to me, that means you're supposed to put up with other people's drama and bullshit. In my experience, I understand it doesn't mean it in all families. It's been my experience as well. Like, Because that's the time when people throw that at you. When you're talking about how so-and-so, so-and-so does not act like family. Or when family treats you like bullshit and they're like, well, you know, that's just how they are. You got to be understanding. They had a hard life or they they be dealing with some stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're not the only person on the planet that's dealing with some shit. So if I get back at them on that same energy wavelength, then all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. Yes. Like you're not part of the reason. How was there only one person we're supposed to be considerate of in this discussion? I'm lost. The whole thing with not being acknowledged is a trip. Not even when I try to reach out, but when I just show up like to family gatherings and stuff, because I was telling Olivia when we were talking about having this episode, I'm like, listen to this, man. I went to uh, my older sister's baby shower for her first baby. I was eating and I actually was sitting at a table and talking to people in my family. We were just talking. And then there was a portion of the baby shower where part of it was on Zoom, you know, all the gifts and stuff. They moved to a different part of the pavilion so everybody could gather around the gifts table and the computer. Do you know that these motherfuckers left me sitting Like, they left me sitting on one side of the pavilion and then everybody else went to the other side. And nobody said, hey, Raven, we're moving over here. I didn't even realize it until there was nobody around me because I heard people walking over to wherever. And then I'm just like, oh, okay." It's one of those situations where I could have said, uh, is nobody gonna make sure that I have a seat? I could have walked over to where they were and been like, hey, where is a place to sit over here? I could have. Then I just thought, okay, well, this is my sister's baby shower. This is not about me. I can't see the gifts anyway, so fuck it. And then finally, my cousin, who was helping run the baby shower, was like, oh, Raven, come sit by us and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well, sure. Again, it's one of those things that if I was at work and people did that shit to me, I would say some shit. I have 
walked in a room at work and then everybody went quiet. And I'm like, listen, I don't want to sit in anybody's lap. Where is a chair at, y'all? Like, how y'all going to be quiet? <laughs> like, I'll do it at work. With my family, I'm just like, why should I have to? Because at work, <laughs> I expect people to do that stupid shit. With my family, how is it that every time I have to say something, every fucking time, like there every is not a single time. time where I get a fucking break. I cannot believe these people. Yeah. Part of it is my being an introvert. And can we just, one, talk about how hard it is being an introvert and being Black anyway? We exist, but people want to make it seem like we don't. Like, yeah. you just expect to be on all the damn time. But add to it, for example, when we go to parties or when I go to parties, I'll have somebody, because I'm usually, I've never gone to like a family party where it was just me. and My siblings couldn't make it. I'm always with one of the three siblings that I spend the most time with. So I'll be like, hey, you know, uh, is there a seat? You know, and they'll find me a seat. And then literally for hours, I'll just stay there. Even when I was a kid, it was a lot like that because it's like, for me, at least I know where I am, but nobody would ever come in and try to engage with me or anything like that. I would just be sitting there. And like I told you, part of it is too, like this is, I guess, any party, but I have the most familiarity with black parties. Oh, you move your feet. You will lose your seat. You get up to go throw something away. You liable to come back if somebody butt is in your seat. <laughs> so you're like, uh, I'm going to just sit here because at least I know. I don't know where any other seats are, but I know this one is here. And Oh, you didn't isolate yourself and pick a room where you knew you'd have a seat there when you got back because nobody um, else was in it? Sometimes that wasn't an option. Oh, I would pick that quite often. <laughs> they be sprawling. They be all all throughout the house and every room and stuff. Another thing would just be like my favorite. Speaking of people not saying nothing, you know, I was telling about the one time we're at a party and I'm like, hey, is there anybody here? You know, I'm about to sit down on the couch. And I just saw a big pile of coats. So I'm thinking I'm just about to sit next to the coats. I was like, is anyone on this couch? Didn't say nothing. So then I go to start backing up to sit down. And the couch start moving. Oh, what the fuck? It's a whole ass person there. And I, at first I thought maybe they were on the other side. So I'm trying to move down. It just so happened that I was moving the same way they were moving. And I did not realize it. So I'm like. And that's your family, you, by the way. This is it's, family. It's, it's not like it was some stranger who never is, knew you. It's like, you know, this is Olivia. You know, Olivia is blind. Right. So even if you got your headphones in and Olivia walks up. And you don't hear what Olivia is saying, you know, oh, she you can't see me. See me. Sit down. What's happening? I, see, that's, oh, that's infuriating. That's happened a few times. And I'm just like, so you couldn't have said nothing? Like, oh, whoa, 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 I'm right here. Or move to your left, move to your right, any fucking thing. But you said nothing. Just yeah. it's stuff like that. It's just frustrating. One of the reasons I don't like large crowds, even when I'm related to them. I'm cool with a nice little party when it's like three or four people. That's cool. But when it gets to like 10 or more, I'm uncomfortable. That's family. I don't give a damn. You know, it really just depends. I am a social introvert. And so I'm not. There is a certain size that a crowd of family can reach. And I'm just like, I'm not there for it. And it really just depends on who is there. Because there is some extended family that anytime they show up, I know we're going to have a good time. They're interested in me as a person. We don't talk often, but every time we get together, it's like they treat me like a human being. Mm -hmm. They act like family. And so if we got a crowd of them people, 
I'm fucking there for it. Mm. But usually it still is a smaller family gathering. Uh, me and Olivia have talked about like our families are gigantic. So like family gatherings I'm talking about are like mm, 20 people or less. Those are the ones that I consider them more intimate. I can talk to most of the people there, half of the people there or whatever. The family gatherings I grew up spending time at, for the most part, were on my father's side of the family. My father's family is huge. He had six sisters, and most of them had children. And by the time I was attending a lot of these family gatherings, some of their children had had children. And my father was the second youngest of his siblings, right? So I'm considerably younger than a lot of my cousins. So a lot of these people treating me in this way where they're being infantilizing or not acknowledging me are older than me. It's like people who are teenagers, and sometimes teenagers are mean, or people who are adults. These people are in their 20s, sometimes their 30s and shit, and just not fucking acknowledging me. Those family gatherings, there had to be at least 50 plus people. I mean, Thanksgiving and Christmas was just fucking insane. I would find a room. Fortunately, the house was big enough to isolate. And the occasions where I did try to insert myself, I really felt like I was inserting myself and not just spending time with my family. And I don't find that rewarding. As an introvert, it is very important for us to have meaningful interaction. Small talk is bullshit. And when you show me that you don't really want me there, I don't need to be, right? I mean, for my (laughs) well-being, I'm going to spare my energy and just let you pretend like I don't exist, I guess. I mean, I've done it this far. Before it hurt. Now it's like, all right. Yeah. I I see what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not about to beg you to like me. No. You know it's true, too, when like your siblings get invited to stuff that you don't. That happened to me a lot. My sister would get invited to stuff, or my brother and sister would get invited, and I wasn't. Or it was just assumed I wasn't going to be there. It was assumed I didn't want to be there. And nobody took steps to be like, hey, we need to make sure Raven's included. Or like, you know, when the cousins would be playing cards growing up, nobody was like, hey, we should have real cards or whatever, right? Right. It was never anything like that. And um, it was disheartening at the time growing up mm-hmm. that there was nobody else in my corner when it came to family functions, making sure that I could participate. Whereas like when I played games with my immediate family and let's say we do have people over who are going to play. Okay, well, now there is the advocacy there. But then when a crowd reaches a certain size, that advocacy no longer exists. Right. And there's not like, hey, let's make sure Raven is included. You get forgotten. Yeah. Or my inclusion is not important. And, you know, when I grew into being a teenager and stuff, it stopped mattering. It took a while for it to stop mattering to me. So my youngest sister and I, our birthdays are a week apart. And for a good number of years, we would have a joint party. And that was hard for a myriad of different reasons, especially when like, you know, you look at the gift pile and she would get all these gifts and I would get like, not that many. There's a trauma of being told I should be grateful I got anything. There's that. But who are you going to tell that to a kid who's looking at somebody who got 10 gifts and they got four or five? And actually one time, one of my cousins, actually it was a bunch of them, but one of them said it and then everybody else joined in. It was at one of our birthday parties. And they literally came up to me and said, we're not here for you. We're here for Bray. And that just really ripped my heart out because I'm like, I already knew it. But to have somebody come and say that to you, it was so And it's like, where does that bitterness come from? See, that's the shit that I don't understand. I don't even get that because you were a child, right? 
Yes, I was a child. So who was that person who came and said that to you? Was that another kid? Yeah, it was another kid. Okay. Like, it's astounding to me how, like, some blind people actually manage to have cousins younger than them or their age, and their cousins are all very welcoming and inviting, and somehow the family has fostered this sense of inclusion to make mm-hmm. sure that the disabled kid is not left out and the disabled kid is not othered and treated differently. And then there's families like yours and mine where it's like, for whatever reason, you have not taught your child, older family members, or you're, you have not taught your cousin, whoever. Mm-hmm. We treat Olivia, we treat Raven like we treat everybody else. That's mind blowing to me. And then yeah. somehow I'm supposed to grow up and I'm supposed to be accepting of those people. I'm supposed to be accepting. <laughs> and even when the adults would show up, I would get like a cursory happy birthday. Sometimes they wouldn't even realize, like, oh, it's her birthday too? I thought it was just braised. Never mind that I'm older. But I'm supposed to be pulling on these family ties when no. these are the memories. This is the bedrock of what our interactions have been built on. Yeah. And my family memories extend very far back because I even have memories of like going through cancer as a toddler. And um, there were family members who visited and there were people who um, they did not. And I'm not making shit up. It's not like, oh, you don't remember them being there. That doesn't mean they weren't there. Well, of course it doesn't. But I know they weren't there from conversations with other people mm-hmm. and whatever, like visiting a kid with cancer, depressing a children's hospital with a bunch of kids with cancer. Very depressing. But still, there were a lot of different ways that these people could have shown up. And it has stuck with me, the people who did and the people who did not. Especially when you think about the fact that I was not supposed to live past the age of five. Well, I didn't have cancer. I had other issues. And a lot of people knew my my situation. They could fix their lips to talk shit, but nobody wanted to do anything to help. Help mm-hmm. my mom, help me. They couldn't do nothing, but they could say so fucking much. Yeah. I'm going to talk about family helping with advocating. Now, this could be argued. (laughs) My oldest sister has always been my champion from the jump, even before I lost my sight, which I was too young to remember. But especially afterwards, she's always been like, I call her my rock. Her support has gone a long way into helping me accept myself. So this is an advocacy, but this is her standing up for me. It's violent. Heads up, seven up. We were kids. In my eyes, I have an astigmatism and they just, you know, wander. They do whatever they want. We were all sitting on the porch and this boy was like, what's wrong with your eyes? And that question, until I was a freaking adult, it would always just gut me. And I couldn't say anything. I couldn't answer him. And my sister, she's like so sweet and so weird and quirky and adorable. She didn't say anything. I had a bat. I used to have this Mickey Mouse ball and bat that I carried around with me everywhere. She just picked up this bat and she smacked though. When I say she hit him so damn hard, that shit echoed. And it was one of those, he wasn't wearing a shirt. (laughs) So... And she hit him. The shit echoed. It was one of those like pauses. And then he just started screaming and he ran home. And I was like, why did you hit him? And she said, because what he said was ignorant. Don't ever let anybody talk about your eyes. And that was it. Well, I say that that was great advocacy. No, but it meant a lot to me at the time because nobody else had ever stood Mm -hmm. up for me. 
in that way. Nobody else ever has in that regard. And more palatable advocacy, I'll give it to my mom. She advocated for me in schools, doctor's visits, and she encouraged me to advocate for myself. Like she'd always ask me like, well, what do you think? Like I'd be present at these meetings and stuff or these appointments. And she'd be like, you have any questions? You want to ask them anything? And, da, da, da. and so because of that, I started advocating for myself as early as 10 years old, I remember. And a lot of times she would just, she said later, she was like, I asked you because I didn't know the fact that she would ask my input and my own thought process, even as a child, mattered a lot. I didn't have that same experience. My input was not valued. When it came to my parents dealing with my education and care and things like that, mm-hmm. the type of household that I grew up in was not a household that encouraged you standing up for yourself, right? I grew up in a very emotionally abusive, hostile environment, right? So that's an environment where same instances of me standing up for myself were perceived as me trying to challenge my parents, separate from my parents, or be defiant. Oh my God, so true. And that was a struggle for me to overcome and learn how to stand up for myself and learn that I'm not stepping on toes by advocating for myself. The valuable advocacy my family has done, I think, just took place at a point where I was fully capable of advocating for myself, and I appreciate them doing that. Especially after I got a guide dog, there were a couple of times where my family was there for service denials, like people didn't want us in a gas station or people didn't want us in a restaurant. So I can think of like a couple of times where my mom stepped up. She was very kind about it all. Not dramatic. My parents, too, have been good in advocating. I don't know, when we go out in public spaces and there's been some times where we go in stores or go to festivals and they want me to look at something, but it's like, I need to touch this stuff. And it might be high up on a shelf or behind glass or mounted. And so they'll be like, oh, no, we're going to ask somebody. We're going to I want you to see this or I think you should see this. And they were very good about that. And, you know, that actually makes me think of something. So in my childhood, we traveled quite a bit in my teen years. And I will say my parents did a very good job of almost always making sure there was some way I could access the sights <laughs> that we were seeing, mm-hmm. so to speak. I do appreciate that very deeply. It's something that I've had to take on as an adult. And I'm just like, wow, you get to realize how it doesn't come naturally. It is something you have to plan for when you're going to museums and stuff and everything is not accessible to you. Then it's like, okay, well, what can my child access? Or my parents would ask tour guides on tours. They were like, you know, she can't see. Is it okay? Like, I know you don't want people to walk on that rug, but can you take her so that she can see? Whatever. Mm -hmm. So they would have the tour guide take me and allow me to touch something that everybody else could stand back and see. Right. I do appreciate that they did stuff like that. Or like the thing that stands out to me the most was when we went to the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. And listen, on a totally blind person, I am floored that people (laughs) are impressed by this gigantic hole in the ground. Listen, I was just like, oh, wow. Like once we got there, I'm like, cool. 
and everybody's like, oh, ah, ooh, ee. And I'm just like, it's really quiet. And the It'd acoustics different are different. <laughs> if we went down into it like that, I cannot mm-hmm. imagine that experience. I'm not interested in it, but I'm sure it is an awe-inspiring experience. It's something that's interesting to think about, how immense the earth is and how there's this hole in the ground and everything that's down there and the history of it. Sure, But did you know that at the Grand Canyon, there's like a little museum And they have a panorama of it inside. And my mom took me inside to check out the panorama of the Grand Canyon. So for people who don't know what a panorama is, it is a tactile model. And that was really fucking cool. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. I've never heard anything about that. So I appreciate that my parents did all sorts of stuff like that. Like when we went to the Grand Canyon, when we walked around the meteor crater in Arizona, there was one time we went to the Merrimack Caverns, which for people who don't know, that's just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, here in the Midwestern United States. And they don't want people touching the stalactites and stalagmites, which are the little growths that come up out of the cave uh, mm-hmm. structure. I think stalactites come from the top, stalagmites come from the bottom. And my mom was like, oh, you need to touch this, though. And they don't want you to touch it because they're like, you know, the oil's from your skin. And my mom was like, you should touch it. Oh, my God. I chose not to, but I appreciate my mother being insistent about it. And I I do think that sort of persistence from both of my parents has left a positive impact on me. Yeah. Even though I choose not to go with it sometimes. There are a lot of times where I do. And I'm just like, yeah, sometimes I do get a special privilege as a fucking disabled person. (laughs) Listen, man, I do get to get treated differently from everybody else sometimes. Because I don't quite experience existence the same way everybody else does. And so you can call it special if you want to. I don't think so. It's not special. It's just accommodating. I can't see you can. So there's a difference. Yes. My mom is better. (laughs) My mom don't give a fuck. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This woman will be like, here, we'll be at anybody museum. She's like, you should touch this. I'm like, mom, we didn't ask. And she's like, I think it'll be fine. I'm like, no. We can't just go around touching stuff. I would get so embarrassed because I'm like, mom, we can't just go. Like, we're going to get kicked out. Like, what are you doing? Because I get anxiety so easily. I will say she doesn't, but hers does not manifest in the same way mine does. If there is somebody around, she's like, is it okay if she touches it? Because she's visually impaired. She can't. And a lot of times it is a yes. A lot of times it is. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a no. She won't do it after they say no. But like, sometimes she just won't even ask. Oh, yeah. My mom has done the thing where she's like, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do afterwards, but in the moment sometimes. Oh, yes. It's anxiety <laughs> like, inducing because I'm like, I don't want people to kick <laughs> us out of this place, mom, because exactly. we're doing this stuff that they said we shouldn't do. I do appreciate that my parents took us to places that in some way or another, there would be a way to include me or a way I could access it almost every mm-hmm. time. There's been a couple of times where that wasn't the case, but it's fine, right? It's not like mm-hmm. I expect everybody to make sacrifices at every instance for me. They are going to experience life as well. And sometimes it is the case where I'm just there to tag along. But I can only think of maybe two instances where that was the case. I do think when it came to advocacy, them making those arrangements or just the impromptu asking, that does take a level of assertiveness that everybody's parents don't have that. Everybody's parents don't do that. And that's not lost on me. I can't imagine if my parents were like, oh, yes, let's go to all these art museums where it's fascinating. But that's not the place you take your blind child when we're just looking at paintings and stuff. 
I appreciate that they put thought into it. I'm going to keep saying that because I spent a whole episode dogging my family. Um, like nobody ever stood up for me and that's not true. Entirely true. To your point earlier about advocacy in regard to like within the family, like for emotional and mental needs, there was no encouragement. Like Mm-mm. you said, it was very much a emotional and mentally abusive upbringing and household. So all of the advocating for my boundaries and stuff, I learned that outside the home. Yes. And honestly... I had to go to therapy for a lot of it. Some of it came from my siblings. You know, my brother always got my back. So he would encourage me in different ways and stuff. And so that helped. But it wasn't until like I started with therapy, really, which sad to say has only been a year that I've really started to draw firmer boundaries and be able to advocate when I did not like something and realize that other people's feelings are their own problem and not mine. Like, don't be cruel, but at the same time. Don't put other people's feelings above yours. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially if it makes me uncomfortable. That was not encouraged and actually it was totally discouraged. (laughs) So insofar as that, I had to learn that outside the home and in adulthood, which is hard. It's hard because... As disabled people, we are presented with far more instances where we we have to stand up for ourselves. We have to. And it doesn't mean we do it as often as we believe we should or other people think we should. But no one is going to be there for you if you are not there for you. It's hard when you grow up with emotional abuse and mental abuse and verbal abuse. You have somebody degrading you and making it seem like you are being immoral by standing up for yourself. Yeah. And then you have to leave your house and stand up for yourself. Tell people older than you that right. they are breaking the law by not accommodating you, which we'll get into in other episodes. Yeah. And tell people like, hey, please don't touch me this way. Or, hey, I would like to be helped in this way. And finding nice ways to say it, right? Because the communication you have learned up until this point has been dysfunctional communication. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you have to learn there's a process to it. That was really hard for me. I had to learn how to be kind and how to be assertive in a kind way. And sometimes accept that, yeah, sometimes you are going to have to just be a bitch. I had to learn to be assertive at all. It is very difficult to navigate rather than just being told from the outset, I am going to allow for you age-appropriate opportunities to advocate as some parents of disabled children do. And I think that's so important for all children, especially disabled kids. There's something to be said for when you grow and you learn and you are able to tell the family, provided you are at the point, like I feel like now because I've learned to advocate for myself a little more and the family that gives a shit about me as I've grown and as I've learned and basically called them on some stuff like, hey, could you not do this? They respect me enough to be like, all right, cool. I didn't realize it was a problem or I could see why it would be a problem. They're open to change. I'm grateful for that. This concludes the first installment of our Advocacy and All We Do series. If you have an idea or suggestion for the series or just want to share your thoughts, reach out on social media or by emailing us, isquared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. We appreciate you for listening. Thank you.